0: 13 verse 4, where it says this marriage should be honored by all, in the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So while our culture for generations has been trying to improve or deny the design of God or do away with it, the design of God for marriage has not changed. It has never changed. God has never changed it from since we instituted it way back here in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 provides the foundational basis for marriage, and much of the rest of what the Bible teaches is built upon that foundation. So as we look at these verses, if you have your outlines ready, I want to give you three ways to honor God in marriage. And the first one is found in verses 18 through 23. But let me give you the first one. Recognize marriage is a completed partnership. Now I'm going to try to emphasize it, so you understand. A completed partnership, okay? Because it's not going to be up here. Um, So marriage is a completed partnership. So let's read verse 18. Everyone have it? Genesis 2, verse 18. So the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. First of all, let's be careful. It, It doesn't say, and God said everything was good, and then he created man, and it was not good. That's not what it says, right? It said, God created man, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone, right, is what it says. Let's continue reading verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the name called, whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. There are a few things that I want to share with you. The first one I want to share with you is, this is the first time in God's creation where God gave an analysis that is neither good or very good. In fact, he says here in verse 18, he says, it's not good. It's not good for man to be alone, right? That's what he says. So you would expect in this story that once the analysis came, that God would solve the problem and he would create woman, he'd create Eve, right? You'd expect that to come. But instead, we find in these verses, what God gives us, is we, he gives, God gives an assignment to man, that he brings all the animals to, to Adam, and Adam was going to name the animals. That's the assignment he gave. And so you have to ask yourself, why would God do that at that time? Why would he do that and have him do it right now? And I thought it's perhaps that pause helps Adam, and helps man, and helps us, to, to recognize the extent of loneliness And the God solution is the only solution that will work. That's the only solution, not another solution. God is the only solution. So God brings the animals by, and and one by one, or perhaps two by two, two of them, and they come by Adam, and and Adam names them, right? That's what the Bible says. It's on. I mean, it is on. No, I don't think it is. There it goes. And, and, and again, uh, he names them one by, he names all the animals we see Adam does. And, and again, this turns upside down the contemporary teaching that says ancient man is just grunted. That ancient man is a Neanderthal. That ancient man doesn't have a good mind or they're not very smart. It turns that upside down. Because I think the opposite is just the case, as I said last week. I think man was brilliant. And Adam was probably the smartest man who ever lived on this earth because he, wasn't the, he was the only man at this point not affected by the fall because they have fall affected all of us, including our minds, right? We're not the same since the fall. We are not. We had a clear mind before. Now we're not. Adam names all the animals. But I think as Adam is naming all those animals in that course of time, by the end of the day, maybe he said, you know, I would like to have a dog and maybe take a dog home with me. But a dog is not going to, it's not a good companion. A dog can't talk. Maybe he thought the same way about a cat. He says, neither can a cat. Maybe he thought the same thing about a bird. Maybe he thought putting an animal in a cage or something like that. He thought about all those things. But but there was nothing that could fill up his emptiness and loneliness. There was nothing that he found out by looking at all those animals. So God created woman, created Eve. And notice in verse 20, the word for man in the Hebrew language by which it was written is Adam. That's the name. Adam means the man. And when it comes to the end of verse 20, you notice it's without the article. And now the man is, is now named that, Adam. That's his name. And from then, then on, the man is Adam. The man has been named. We see that, called Adam. And then God caused Adam to go to a deep sleep, the Bible says. And he took one of Adam's ribs. That literally means he took from his side and he made woman, made Eve. And the emphasis of the word suitable helper and the emphasis of the helper suitable, the helper is one who completes is what that means. And there's nothing in the word that would suggest being inferior to the man. There's nothing in there that suggests that. So if you read a book or a message from someone, or someone speaking about this, and they said that God created women as helpers, therefore they're inferior to men, the Bible does not teach that at all. It does not teach that. In fact, throughout the Bible, it talks about the equality of essence between the genders, male and female. They're, they're equal. And throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, it teaches that. And in fact, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, In Christ, there is neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're all equal in Jesus Christ. And Peter speaks to uh, the husbands about their wives in 1 Peter 3 7. And he says this Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner. Weaker, not inferior, is what the Bible's saying. Weaker probably meaning, generally speaking, she's physically weaker. But not always, not universally, but generally speaking. But let me read verse 7 again. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life. That we're co-heirs with Christ, right? Men and women who are believers in Jesus, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. So one of the motivations for husbands to be considerate and respect their wives so it will not hinder their prayers. So it says, a helper is that, that which one who will complete. She who will complete is what a helper is. So then it goes on to say a helper suitable. Literally what that means, it says a helper suitable or in front of, an indication of equality. And companionship, what that means. Equality and companionships. And there are many reasons for marriage, but I think one of the best reasons for marriage is found right here in this passage. It's that's companionship. That, that, that God has made us to complete each other in companionship, right? At weddings, couples will often say their vows and then they will say, I do or I will, right? They often say that. But in reality, the words they probably should say is, I expect. I expect because that's what many people—they come to marriage and they expect. They expect her to meet all their needs. They expect him to meet all all their needs. They expect him to wash clothes. They expect him to cook. They expect him to cut the grass. They expect him to always be happy, always be loving, and maybe even be funny. I expect you to meet all my needs. Is what each other expect. And somewhere along the line, we learn that it doesn't work that way. That they didn't get the memo. That you're supposed to meet all my needs, right? They didn't get that. The magic of marriage, of what God intended for all of us, is that we would be like Jesus. And in being like Jesus, we'd put the needs of the other person would be more important than our own. And so we'd meet the other person's needs. Then we were able to say, I do or I will, once we chose to do that. That I'm going to meet your needs and you're going to meet my needs. It's going to work that way. That's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be like Jesus in marriage. Let me give you the second one from verse 24. Verse 24 is a very powerful verse. The second way to honor God in marriage is honor the mystery of marriage. Marriage is a mystery, right? It's a mystery. But honor the mystery of marriage. Let's read verse 24. It says, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. uh, and, and That doesn't seem like it would be very difficult, does it? That man would leave his father and mother. Notice it doesn't say a lady should leave her father and mother. It doesn't say that. It doesn't make any sense, does it? it? Doesn't make any sense at all. Why the man and not the woman? In marriage, we're starting a new entity. We're still to honor our parents, is what we're supposed to do in marriage. But the two people come together, they say their vows, and now they're establishing a new home under God. Still honoring, respecting mom and dad, but they're establishing a new home. So leaving that home, is, leaving involves psychological understanding for them. For them to understand, I'm still part of the family, but now I'm starting my own family. This family is very important that, I, that I'm a part of, but God helped me to honor my parents while I lead my own family, right? While I lead my family. Psychological understanding. So I'm still part of the family of mom and dad, but mom and dad, I'm starting my family now. My family, with my wife or my husband, and I'm starting my family, and so I, I, I love you, but I've got to lead my family. You understand that? But I'm still part of this family. we still have to respect. we still have to honor our parents. So it's a psychological we have to get that in our minds about that. Second, it, sometimes it's financial. It's financial understanding. We've got to cut the financial ties. So, so that we go through the hard times, and we learn the hard knocks about finances, being married, and all those kind of things, that we grow in faith through the fires, or we have to pray for our daily bread. And some of you have been married for a while, you know, when you first got married, you just had enough money to, to make it. And I know Sheila and I, I think we did our budget. We had 20-some dollars over every month, that's all we had. So we prayed for our daily bread. We prayed, God, you, supp- you supply it. Then neither of us would get sick, because if you did, we're not going to be able to meet our bills. And so God met our needs. And sometimes uh, young couples need to pray like that. They need to have that to go through those hard knocks. And it learns them, teaches them how to be good stewards of finances, right, of their money. And, and, you, say, and you say, is it wrong for mom and dad to give your children a down payment on a home? Is it wrong? And some of you young children, young families, uh, young people are saying, boy, I hope he answers this right. Is it wrong? And uh, is it wrong to do that? No, it's not wrong. But it's dangerous if there's strings attached, because if there's a strings attached, it's going to hurt that new entity that's starting. Right? Suppose you you loan your children maybe ten 000 to twenty thousand dollars to put down on a home, and you give them that money. And comes Thanksgiving, they go to the in-laws for Thanksgiving. So they come over to your house, and you're pouting around the house. You're all upset, and and they say, Dad, what's wrong? You say, Oh, go talk to your mother. And they go and talk to my mom. What's wrong? And mom said, You know. We gave you all that money. You wouldn't be able to buy that house if we didn't give you that money. We thought at least we would have Thanksgiving dinner together. We thought at least you would do that. That's not good because what it's doing, it's ripping apart and tearing away the strings of that new entity. It's causing division when we do that. So if you're going to give, there can't be any strings attached in giving money, right? So a young couple has the opportunity to build that marriage that God intended them to build. Without the strings attached, by mom and dad. Uh, Parents, you go over to your married children's home, and you go over their home, and you look around, and you say, boy, I don't know how you guys can live this way with all these dirty dishes. Or you'll say, I don't know how you can live this way. Look at this house. It's a mess. How can you live this way? Again, it begins to tear away at that new entity. It still causes problems between that new entity, that establishing that new home, because moms and dads are doing that. We need not to do that. That's not good. We don't want to do anything that would cause any harm to that new entity to start ripping it apart and have the enemy using that to cause a wedge between them, right? So leaving father and mother, it's psychological, but many times it's financial. But it also, sometimes it has to be geographical. That sometimes those strings are so attached and they can't let go that they need to kind of live apart from mom and dad because of those strings so they can have a good starting of that new entity, and build the marriage that God wants them to build without other interference, with all the strings attached to that. It goes on to say to be united, to be united. You, you leave your father, and mother, you unite or you leave and cleave to one another. One commentator says that you are super glued together. You're not two people who say some vows and live independent. You are now two people that in essence have become one, is what the Bible says. So any attempt to separate rips apart, bits and pieces of both of them. So you unite with one another. In other words, what it's saying, marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. It it, has, it goes very deep in the eyes of God. That when you sign that covenant, when we say, I do, I will. It, it says in the third thing here, that the two shall become one flesh. Obviously, it's referencing physical intimacy and the consummation of the marriage. But it doesn't stop there. It just begins there as these two people become one together. So there's companionship that we have with one another is what we find in marriage that nothing is going to separate. Even as we go through the deepest valleys that we can go through we say nothing's going to separate us. We're in this together for the long haul for whatever we got to go through. We're in this together and I'm going to stand by you even through the tough times that we're going to go through. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 through 12 says that two are better than one. And it gives several reasons for that. But one of the reasons it says, if one falls down, another one is there to help them. That two is better than one. And it's basically talking about companionship. Companionship that you're there. You know, I don't fly often, but every time I get on a plane, I'm amazed how it works. I'm amazed how I can fly. I don't understand it. I've tried to research and look it up, but I'm not smart enough to understand how a plane flies. I don't know about if you are, but I just don't understand it. It's it just amazing me. So every time I get on a plane, I show honor to the aeronautic engineers who design that plane. And every time you and I uh, stay within the parameters of God's design and honor His design, we bring honor and glory to the designer, to God. Every time we do that in marriage. So let me share the, the last principle. It's found in verse 25. The third way to honor God in marriage is kind of that honor God's design in marriage. Honor his design. Verse 25 almost seems like an addendum to this beautiful, beautiful paragraph about marriage where it says this. You kind of scratch your head. What did he add that for? The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You read that and you say, what is that all about? What is he write that? This is about unashamed intimacy before the fall. That's what he's trying to show Unashamed intimacy before the fall. And I think that verse sets up for an episode that's yes just to come where they're naked and they are ashamed. And you say, What's the difference? What's the difference? Sin. Sin came in. That's the difference. Sin. And so, this wonderful beauty of intimacy from God and with each other that God intended for marriage is supposed to be a part of marriage, that we were bonded and melded together before God, we're supposed to be, that demands that we know each other, that demands that we, we live within the structure and parameters of God's design, all that, that we do that. That's what he's calling us for. There's a story of a lady that could no longer drive, and she needed to find someone who could drive her. So she decided to interview three people to drive her. And she decided to interview these three men. And she says, I want to be safe in the car and I want to know I'm always safe in the car, and I want to know that you're a good driver. So one of the roads that we go on is this curved road, and it has a precipice there, but it has no guardrail. And I want to know how close that you can get to that edge and still keep me safe. So she asked the first driver this, and the first driver says, you know, I'm a good driver, and I can get, I think, within that front wheel about 12 inches of that edge and still keep you safe. She said, okay. She interviewed the second driver and he's in, uh, he says, you know, I'm a really good driver and I can drive real fast. I can drive fast in all kinds of condition and I can drive fast and I can get that front wheel within six inches of that edge and keep you safe. And she was really impressed with him. The third driver said, if I'm given the opportunity to drive you, I value you and your automobile too much to ever get close to the edge. So I'm gonna hug that center line as much as possible, so I don't ever put you in danger of the edge. Which one do you think got the job? The last one, right? When I look at God's design in marriage, I look at it like, it's like this rug. That God has designed marriage and he's given us parameters. He says, I want you to live within this parameters. And inside this parameter, we're safety in marriage. It's where we honor God in marriage. Why is it when we get married, and, and, and we're we, inside of these parameters, we stay inside these parameters, and we get married, one man, one woman, we love each other, we get married, that we want to kind of flirt with the fringes. We want to get outside the fringes. We don't want to stay right in the center, but we want to get in the edge and, and kind of flirt with. Why do we do that? And it usually starts in the mind when we do that. We all kind of flirt with fringes in our marriage. We all kind of do things like that. And James talks about that. He says this, he says, When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And when sin, and sin, when it had its finish, brings forth death. And so we listen to our culture and our culture say, boy, if your marriage is not good, if it's not good, you need to get out of it. You need to get out of that marriage as fast as you can and find someone else. In our culture, Hollywood stars, if you're looking to them, they're not a good design and they're not a good example for us, good model for God's design, right? Because every time you hear about one of them, they married and now they're not married. Now they're living with this one. Now they're married to that one. You find that all kinds. And God says, no, one man, one woman for a lifetime. to stay within the parameters. And young couples who are thinking about getting married, God's design is you for to wait for physical intimacy until after you're married. And God says, because the marriage bed is to be undefiled. But our culture is saying to you, hey, you're going to get married anyway. You might as well test it out. You might as well live together and see if you can work this out, see if you you like to be around each other. Because if you don't, you don't need to get married, right? That's what the culture is saying is. You look at the stats on that. They say, oh, the stats that show up. The stats show that's not the case. God says, no, you stay within the parameters of marriage. You stay within my design of marriage is what God says. That's what works. And by the way, normally when we step outside of God's design of marriage, we make a couple of huge mistakes, The first one we make, we we underestimate the consequences when we step out of this design. We don't realize the consequences are about to come. The next one is we think we can manage things. We overestimate our ability to manage it. We're going to manage it all that once it starts happening, we'll be able to manage it. So we listen to our culture, we listen to the world and what they have to say that no one's going to ever find out and I need to be happy. So we step outside of this and we realize the consequences and all the kind of things that happened. Or, or you can do some things, you say, I can control it, but I'll be able to manage this. I'll be able to manage what happens because I'm such a good manager of things, and I'm going to be able to do that. Those are the voices of the culture. In contrast, the resounding voice of God where God says in Numbers 32 verse 23, he says He says this, be sure your sin will find you out. Your sins always find you out, you know that, don't you? Sooner or later, if you step out of this design, your sin will find you out. It always does. It always does. Sooner or later, it might be weeks, days, months, years, but it will find you out. We have to get back in the design of God. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, can't make choices for our culture, but we have to stop letting our culture make choices for us, right? And that's what they're doing. They're making choices for us, and our marriages are making choices for us, and we're listening to them. These choices have to be made with the design of God in play. And we're in this design of God. We have peace, we have security, we have safety, we have righteousness, and as I stand here, I have all those things. And I, and I, and I didn't say it was going to be easy, right? Because marriage isn't easy. Marriage is hard, is it not? But when I step outside of the design of God, it's going to be more difficult, right? It's going to be even more harder. And the consequences are going to come. And I'm going to try to manage it. I'm not going to be able to manage it. I'm going to have all kinds of problems. So God says, stay within the design. Stay within these parameters. Live inside of this if you're married. That's what he tells us to do. I know that probably every one of us, has stepped out of the design of God one way or the other. You may not have physically, but in our minds and our actions and our thoughts, we, we've all done that. I know that. I'm not here to judge anyone. Our church isn't here to judge anyone. We're all in this together, aren't we? None of us are perfect. None of us can say that our marriages are perfect and, boy, I've, I've stayed in the design. I've done everything exactly the way I should. None of us can stand up here and say that. None of us. We're not judging anyone. And maybe you've done the happily ever after. Maybe you've done it two, three, four times or whatever. You say, what do I do? what do I do right now if I'm outside of the design of God? Right now, what do I do? The first thing I would say is ask God to forgive you. Just ask him to forgive you. Will God forgive you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Listen to me. Absolutely. God will forgive you. There's no sin. Absolutely no sin that we can commit that's beyond the ability of God's grace to forgive. No sin. God will forgive whatever you've done. He promises to forgive. First John 1, 9, well, 9, right? We confess our sins. He is faithful and just. Forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's all sin he's talking about. Any sin. Every sin that we've done. We confess it. He will forgive us is what the Bible says. But we need to get back to the design of God. And it's possible. But it's difficult because you can't unscramble the eggs. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, right? You can't do any of that. But you have to get back in the design of God. And if you are here today, and hopefully no one's here, and you have something going on with a man or woman and you have a husband or wife, you need to break it off now. Or if you're flirting with the, the fringes right now and you're married, you need to stop it and break that off right now and stay within the design of God. Stay within his parameter and say, I can't do this. I know emotions get attached, but you need to break it off right now before it gets any worse because the consequences are gonna come. And we need to break it off. I've had people come to me who are living together outside of marriage, and maybe you've convinced yourself that it's a good idea to do that, but God says, no, that's not right, stop it. And they come to me and they usually share with me, do you know how much money we're saving by living together and not having separate apartments and all the utility bills? We're saving $500, $1,000, $1,500, $2,000, $2,500. And what I say is, what is the price where disobedience becomes legitimate. Is there a number? Is it $2,000, $3,000? What is the price? We have to get back in the design of God. There's no justification. Say we're going to live together before marriage. No justification for that. You can make all the excuses you want, but it's not in the design of God. God wants us to live in his design, right? That's where he wants us. I love so much what God said that he said, I sent my one and only son to come to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. That's what he said. And see, we learn so much about how to live here. Because God says, I love you so much that I put this fence around my design for marriage. And I want you to live within that. And don't go outside the fence. I want you to stay here. And I want you to stay there. If you have a house and your backyard backs up to the road, and you put a fence around there, do you do that because you don't love your children? No, you do that because you do love your children, right? And you don't want them to get hit by a car or anything else happen to them. So you put this fence around your backyard. God puts boundaries and borders for us. He says, because that's the design of God, because he says, I don't want you to get hurt. Because if you step outside of this design, of this parameter, and you step outside of it, you are going to get hurt, tremendously hurt. And you're going to hurt your spouse and you're going to hurt your children, and it's gonna affect your children's children, your grandchildren, it's gonna affect your mom and dad, it's gonna affect your grandparents, it's gonna affect your brothers and sisters, it's gonna affect your family, it's gonna affect your friends, it's gonna affect so many people if you do that. And I don't wanna see you destroy your life. So God said, I put this fence for you. He said, I put these parameters, because I don't want you to hurt yourself. I don't want you to hurt other people. So stay within the design of God. And and this is where God blesses marriages. This is where God blesses families. If you're outside or on the fringe, you're right out here, and you say, God, I'm going to do my thing, but I want you to bless my family. Listen to me. It's not going to happen. God doesn't bless like that. He blesses us when we're walking in obedience to God. That's where we find the blessings of God. And so you want a blessing on your marriage? If you want a blessing in your life? If you want a blessing on your family? It's you and I who are married to walk in that parameter, that God's design that he's given us, and not get outside of the design. How can we ask God for to bless us when, God, I'm not living according to what you've called me to live? We have to live within that design that God has given us. Amen? That's what God has called us to do. At Crossroads Community Church, we want to teach and live this design with God's help. But none of us are perfect. None of us are perfect here. God forgives. God is a God who forgives, right? He forgives all of us. And some of you might be divorced, and now you're remarried. And as I said before, confess it. God will forgive you. But listen to me very careful. God wants to bless the marriage that you're in. There's nothing you can do about there except ask for God's forgiveness. You had fault in that. But the marriage that you're in today, today, God says, I want you to, I want to bless that marriage. But you have to stay in the parameters of God. You have to, right? We have to stay there. We have to make that commitment as husbands and wife. This is where I'm going to stay because I want God's blessings, I want to see fruit in my life. I want to see God's blessing so I can bless my children with God's blessing and my grandchildren and my parents. And I can be a model and example for my children so one day they may see that, what marriage looks like. So we want to stay in the design. No matter what we've done in the past, today you can make that commitment and say, God, I want to stay within your, your, your parameters. I want to stay within your design. And God says, one woman, one man for a lifetime. From this moment on, this is the only one I have, right? Amen? No matter where you're at, God is a God who forgives. No matter what you've done in the past, the marriage that you're in today, if you're married, God says, I want to bless that marriage, but you have to stay within my design. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. And Lord, as we come here and we, Lord, with all of our faults, all of our sins, none of us are perfect, Lord. Lord, we get in arguments with our spouse. And Lord, we have things many times and maybe think thoughts about them or all these kind of things. So none of us are perfect, Lord. We might not have done actions, but Lord, we've had thoughts and stuff like that. So Lord, we ask, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, and the Lord, that you would give us the love for our spouse that we're supposed to have, the balance that we're supposed to have, that we'd put you first in our marriage and ask you would lead and guide us to become the people you want us to be in our marriage. But Lord, I pray for each person here, if they're thinking about getting married or someday might get married or a young person, that we'd all be committed to stay within your design, be committed to you. And I pray for any of us, Lord, that are out on the fringes or outside of the design, convict us of our sin, Lord, right now. If we're flirting with disaster, we're flirting with someone else, then Lord, right now, you'd convict our hearts and minds to stop it, to break it off, not to do it anymore because, Lord, your blessings is inside this parameter. If we want to see our families blessed, if we want to see our children blessed, if we want to see a blessing in our, in our lives, we have to stay within your parameters and your design that you have for marriage. Because that's where you bless us. That's what you call this. And so, Lord, I pray that for each one. I pray for a blessing upon our marriages. I pray they were to be centered upon Jesus Christ to be a model for others to see. Lord, I didn't say that we'd be perfect. None of us are perfect. The only one is perfect as your Son, Jesus. And so, Lord, we help us to become. The men and women, the husbands and wives that you called us to be, and and as our, uh, those here that are not married, their Lord, they have maybe children who are married. They would be able to be an encouragement to them in the marriage, not to have strings attached, but be a blessing to them by encouraging them in their marriage and helping them in their marriage. To be that person that's that uh, helps and encourages and builds them up in their marriage. Help us to be parents like that. Help us to be a blessing to our children's marriage, not one that causes wedges and divisions and pulls the strings, but help us to let that new entity that God has formed together become all that he intended it to be without any strings attached for mom and dad. We allow them to be. Lord, we pray for a blessing upon our marriage, and it starts with us centered upon you. It starts with us living inside of this freedom that you've given us, but that freedom is to be obedient to you in your design, walking with you, so I pray for that for each and every one of us, Lord, that we would learn that through your powerful word, through this next song we're going to sing, Lord, about in your freedom we will live, but that freedom has to be inside the design of God, inside of your parameters of marriage. And being obedient Christians, living for you, that's what you've called us all to be. And so I pray that for us. And the Lord, if we have not living that, then we'd realize as simple as confessing our sin and you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. That's your promise. Not maybe you will forgive us. That's one of your promises. You will forgive us. You will forgive us. Restore us and help us. And so, Lord, I pray that we come and confess our sins if we are not living in obedience to you. I pray for that person this morning that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. I pray for th- their heart and their soul that this morning to recognize that you sent your Son, and Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins. And this morning, they would put their faith and trust in Jesus for forgiveness sins, for sins. I pray for them. I pray for all of us, Lord, as, as we gathered here today, wherever we were, we were at, that now, Lord, we'd be in line with you, we'd be unified with you, and what you're saying about marriage. Contrary to what the culture is saying, what the world is saying, they're saying uh, disregard the design that God has for marriage. Do whatever you want. You have to be happy. But no, God, you says no. The only way you're going to find true joy is to stay within the design that God has created for us inside of those parameters. Help us to believe you, trust your truth, And rely upon the holy spirit he can change an impossible situation god can work things out he can break down barriers that come between husbands and wife and he's the one able to break those down and to bring healing inside of a marriage so i pray pray for any marriages that might be struggling that they would seek you seek out counsel from someone else to help them in their marriage so those barriers can be broken down and can have reconciliation so we just pray for a blessing upon blessing upon blessing of our marriages we pray for a blessing upon all those as parents as we pray for our children who are married, and we want to see that marriage be all that God wants it to be. That we promise to make a commitment. I'm not going to attach any strings to my children to hinder that marriage whatsoever. We would make that commitment as parents to our children. And the young people, as they begin dating, and, and, and they, they, they realize that they would wait until after marriage for coming together physically. That that bed is to be undefiled before God at wait. And waiting is such a perfect time to the day that they are married. It's a beautiful time, but marriage God created for us. It's an intimate time, but it's all created for marriage. And we understand that. We would learn that. And so, God, be with us. Help us understand your truth. Help us not to compromise this such sacred truth that you've given to us. And Lord, help us to understand that and live it out. Not just listen, but live it out. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.